Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Welcome to Pub Day Tuesday, where I'm featuring a few episodes of authors who have books coming out today. I hope you enjoy this one. T. Williams is the author of Seven Days in June, which, by the way, was already chosen as Reese's book pick for June. Tia has had a 15-year career as a beauty editor for magazines including Elle, Glamour, and Essence. In 2004, she pioneered the beauty blog industry with Shake Your Beauty. She wrote the best-selling novel, The Accidental Diva, and penned two YA novels, It Chicks and Sixteen Candles. Her award-winning novel, The Perfect Find, will be adapted into a Netflix film starring Gabriel Union. Tia is currently an editorial director at Estee Lauder Companies and lives with her daughter and husband in Brooklyn. Welcome, Tia. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Seven Days in June. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. Moms don't have time to read books. Moms don't have time. I know. Barely had time for this one. No, I'm right. 
<laughs> Why don't you start by telling listeners a little bit about what this book is about and what inspired you to write it, and then we can like dive into some of the details. Okay. So this book, it's called Seven Days in June, and it's about two famous authors who randomly meet at a Brooklyn Museum literary function and sparks immediately fly. But unbeknownst to everyone there, they're not strangers. They had a seven-day romance, very torrid, very dramatic in high school. And then they went their separate ways and never spoke again. But over the past 15 years, they've been secretly communicating with each other through their books. And I, I just love a second chance love trope. It's like one of my favorite things. And I've never written one. And I just love the idea of this sort of, you know, love that's bec- that was so important to you that it's become myth- mythological almost in your mind. And then, you know, to be confronted again, I think we all ask that question, like, you know, what would you do if the one who got away came back? So that that's really where it came from. Actually, to tell you the absolute truth, I was watching Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo and Claire Danes, <laughs> and I just had this thought, what if Romeo and Juliet hadn't died? Like, what if they, you know, went their separate ways and, and ha- you know, became totally well-functioning adults, you know, it, with therapy and 401ks and everything, <laughs> and like, you know, met each other in their 30s, like, would it still be there? Do soulmates have an expiration date? We don't know. Oh, I love that. I mean, I feel like there are some relationships you just can't shake, right? They kind of get in there and I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) well, I mean, why not explore this like age old question, right? That, that nobody quite knows the answer to. It's amazing. One of the things I really loved about this book was how to deal with pain, right? The migraines that the mom had and how you deal with pain while you are raising your child and how to function in a world where you don't want your pain to be acknowledged or known throughout and sort of having to hide. And you had this one quote, what was it like, this luxury, the luxury of not hurting? And I know you've written about migraines yourself. So I just wanted to talk to you about that plot line. Yeah. So Eva, like you said, she's she lives with a chronic disability and it's an invisible disability, chronic migraines. Um, and I too have had chronic migraines since I was nine years old. And mine are intractable, which basically means they're not curable. Like I just, they can't figure out why I have them and I just have to live with it. And yeah, it's something I've, I've wanted to address in fiction for a while, but it's so painful to me. I, I never felt brave, brave enough to go there. And I also, you know, like to keep a little bit of, you know, I like to keep humor in my stories and a little bit of lightness with the darkness. And I didn't know how to make this funny. Because, yeah, I've always wondered what it's like to be normal. I look at my friends. I look at, you know, strangers on the train. And I'm just like, oh, look at them just living their pain-free lives. Of course, you can never know what's going on in people's minds. But, you know, just things that that other people take for granted, you know, running more than one block, <laughs> laughing too loud, sneezing, coughing, you know, drinking. I can't have one drink of anything without, you know, landing in the ER the next morning. There's a lot. I, I, it was especially hard when I was a kid because I couldn't really play. So I was always inside reading and writing. 
which brings us here. <laughs> but yeah, Eva feels like she's an alien. Like she's not, you know, like she's a dysfunctional human being, you know, like she sees the world upside down. Everyone sees it right side up. Because when you're operating through this veil of pain, you have to get through an extra layer of struggle to get to the normal place where everyone else is. So in order to act like everyone else paying attention in a meeting at work, there's so much you have to get through to get there. There might be two rounds of pills the half hour before the meeting. You might be pinching your thigh during the meeting to stay awake because the pills have made you so zonked out. Someone may ask you a question and you pause for five mortifying seconds because you can't get your brain to work. Yeah, it sucks, you know, and, and I haven't read a lot of fiction, fun fiction about, you know, a protagonist that, that suffers with a chronic disease. I'm so sorry that that's something you've had to deal with your whole life. You've seen like every doctor, right? Because now, of course, my instinct is to be right. like, let me try to find you a different doctor. <laughs> Have you tried this? Have you tried that? You've, I'm sure you've had everything. And the funny thing, well, it's not funny, but like after a while, when they see that nothing they are doing is working, they get angry with me and, and dump me. Oh, I've been dumped like in aggressive ways. Well, you're not responding to anything. I don't, I, 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 you know, I, there's some issue that that isn't being addressed here. And I've, I've run every test and, uh, you know, you're just incorrigible. This pain just is just so frustrating. It's like, you know, the doctors take it personally because they, it stumps them. And then it's always, you know, I don't think we can treat you anymore. You have to find someone else. What? Yeah. Well, well if you ever want to try again, I am on the board of Mount Sinai Hospital. So if you want to try with a new team or something. Oh, I've done Montefiore. Mount Mount Sinai. Mount oh, Sinai. Mount Sinai. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know if I've been to my Mount Sinai. I might. All right. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's nothing more, but I feel like I have to try, <laughs> try to help you to like get out of this. I love that you put it in fiction and the way that you addressed it. And there was humor even throughout the pain. So I feel like that and that difficulty was achieved, you know, in the way that you were in bed and the laying over. And but the sad part was how Eva and I don't know if this happened to you or whatever, but how she felt like her pain made her feel so unattractive and how she didn't want to open up to men because like, who wants to date her? I think there was some line like, well, who wants to date someone so ugly? And like her first guy left her and like, how Mm -hmm. do you get over that? Tell me about about that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's come into, it's like the third, you know, Princess Diana is like, well, there was three of us in the relationship. Like migraines are my Camilla, like they're <laughs> and the third person in all of my relationships because it's you know we make plans. I may not be able to go, or I may have to go home early. You know, I might have to disappoint your parents because I can't show up for that dinner, or you know, if I have an episode and the, you know it changes your plans, it changes what you wanted to do for the day. And the way I, I, in my diaries, when I'm a teenager, like I write about pain, like it's a gargoyle sitting on my head or sitting on my shoulder all the time. And it's ugly. Like feeling bad is ugly. It's hard to feel like attractive and sparkly when you're, you know, you didn't sleep the night before because you were having suicide dreams. Like it's that cry. It's that tough. It's hard to feel attractive. I remember being on a, on a first date once and 
we were at some restaurant on the Lower East Side and I remember focusing in on my California role, like with everything I had, because I, if I hadn't, I knew I was going to throw up. I don't remember anything this idiot said. I'm just like staring at my California role, like hoping that it keeps me together, you know? And yeah, that's one of those things where you're just like, God, I just wish I were normal, but no one's normal. Everyone has something, but yeah, it's, it's the things that people take for granted, you know, that, that I have to, and Eva has to fight through. It, it's hard. So yeah, you feel ugly. I'm sorry. And it's so crazy because I'm looking at you, obviously like gorgeous and, you know, your Thank whole you. career has been in beauty. I mean, yeah. for, for a long time, which I don't know, maybe Freud would have something to say about that. I know. think so. I think definitely it's no accident. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. And I, I'm sure there are groups and stuff. I, not, I feel like I, I'm sorry. I feel like I, I keep trying to take care of you. Like you're a like a close friend or or somebody. But anyway, there are probably other people who are in your situation who... There are. Because I hate the fact that you were embarrassed to even write about it. Yeah. When it's something that's such a part of you and there's no shame. You didn't do it to yourself. Like most people with chronic pain, like this is nothing you did. Right. I know. It's just most people don't understand it. And it's the other thing of like, everyone's had a headache here and there. Like if they haven't had their coffee yet or if they're hungover. And so you tell people you have migraines and they're like, oh yeah, I I have had one before. Or, you know, do you want a Tylenol? I have some Advil. And it's like, I have oxycodone in my, you know, in my bag. Granted, this is the early 2000s when that was happening. (laughs) They're not allowed to prescribe it to me anymore. But, you know, it's like people don't get it. They just think you're tired or stressed or dramatic because you're not bleeding. You're not limping. You're not in a wheelchair. You don't have crutches. You don't have this outward facing, you know, disability or illness. So it's really hard to believe. And I've had people close to me not believe it. And so I don't, you know, it's a hard thing to share. And also people look at me and they're like, what kind of problems could you have? And so I, yeah, I just, I keep it to myself or I've always made up lies about why I have to skip out on something or go home early or not drink or, you know, can't go to a concert, you know, things like that. Cause it's just easier than saying, Oh, my head hurts. It also sounds like you're complaining. (laughs) So I mean, I do those things all the time too. And I don't even have an excuse. I go home early. I like, I, like I'm out. Wow. Bye. What's it called? An Irish, an Irish goodbye when you just sort yeah. of slip out without saying goodbye to anyone. Totally. Oh my gosh. Well, tell me then about your love of reading as a child. I love how you were saying you wrote somewhere that you wish that there had been some sort of black Scarlet O'Hara or that none oh, of the yeah. characters you were reading felt like you and yet you you were just diving into book after book and that inspired you in part to want to write fiction the way that you sort of see the world. Tell me about that. Yeah. So yeah, I was a voracious, voracious reader and always reading age inappropriate books. So like, you know, I was in third grade, literally had had ingested the entire Judith Krantz and Jackie Collins canon. <laughs> I was like that too. Like all of them. Princess Daisy. I was like, oh, Mistral's daughter. Oh my gosh. I like went into my mom's like section and I was just like, do, 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 do. Oh, absolutely. All those. Oh, so good. And, you know, then BC Andrews and all those, you know, and I was also a massive 
film buff. My parents are. So we were always watching old Hollywood movies. And, you know, obviously, unless you're looking for a maid or a slave, there aren't black people in any, you know, 30s, 40s movies. And so what I did when I would watch these movies and read the books that I was reading, I would recast it in my mind as black people. And I mean, this is totally screwed up, but I would watch Gone with the Wind, which is one of the most racist movies ever put out by Hollywood, by the way. And I would recast them as black people, which is insane to think that Scarlett O'Hare, like what? It's just nuts. But yeah, I wanted to read big dramatic love stories about glamorous women, you know, like Billy Icorn in Scruples, you know, and or Jude Devereaux heroine or Nora Roberts. And they, there weren't any books starring me in any of those scenarios. And then when I moved to New York in 97, right after college to work in fashion magazines, so I was a beauty editor and I worked at Elle and Glamour and Lucky and Teen People and Essence all over the place. And I saw Black women and men living those lives, you know, in these books that I would read that were cast completely with white people. And I was like, why don't we write about the Black gallery owner or the Black artist, the Black writer, you know, the Black financer, the financier, financer? Yeah. Wall Street dude, bro. <laughs> you know, like we're we're everything. We're all things. And then we only see, you know, the the media so often, especially when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, like we were always symbols of oppression, which is so dehumanizing. And it's also centering whiteness. It's like, what are black people in relation to white people? And we are so much more than than the injustices put upon us by white people and white lawmakers. We are, we are our own thing. And so I've always been driven to sort of write these big iconic stories and make blackness, you know, turn it into some sort of iconography because I didn't have that. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com this episode is sponsored by better help sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because 
Even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. And I was missing that. And God knows I don't want any other little girls, first of all, to watch Gone with the Wind, but second of all, to try to to cast in their mind a black woman in Atlanta running a plantation and owning enslaved black people. So, I mean, that, that is the most insane thing ever. And then also growing up thinking that, you know, black people are, or wanting, wanting black people to inhabit a space where it's like, this is the black version of this white thing. This is, this is the, the black version of a Jackie Collins book. No, we're not the black versions of anything. We're ourselves. And we're funny and we have sex and we're dorky, we're boring, we're, you know, we're scientists, we're architects, we're, you know, construction workers, we're everything. I'm tired of seeing us just one way. Wow. Well, you have this quote in the book about Eva not wanting to be on this panel because she said she's woke recreationally, not professionally. <laughs> <laughs> and she thought that she was in, you know, in too deep with the panel she was assigned to. <laughs> yes. Well, I feel like that sometimes because I have friends that write, you know, books about that are like deconstructing race in America or like, you know, this, these like really intense racial, you know, discourse. And I write fun books about love and sex. And sometimes I'm asked to comment on these things and I'm like, ah, ask my friend. I don't know. Like, yes, I feel all these things very deeply, but like, you know, around my dinner table, like it's a whole different skill set to get up in front of people and articulate these things in a way that, you know, it's a true skill because you also can't, if you come out the gate offending people, they're not going to learn anything. So like there's a delicateness that you have to have. You have to be succinct and get the point across quickly because if you belabor it, you might make the audience feel bad (laughs) and then they turn on you. It's a whole thing. And hats off to my friends that, that sort of, yeah, are woke professionally while I get to stand in the shadows (laughs) and applaud, applaud them, you know, silently. Although it's funny, I'm interviewing Naima Koster, like literally right after this. And oh, wow. she she wrote in one essay that she feels bad because in her work, she doesn't celebrate like what you do. Like she's right. like, I don't have enough like black joy and love. And, you know, mine is maybe mine is too dark. And so I just feel like there's almost no, there's yeah. no prescribed path. Like everyone's just trying to help. It's so true. And honestly, there are two different sides of the same coin because what what I'm doing is just as revolutionary as what she's doing because no one believed in black joy 10 years ago. You know, when I was selling books at the beginning of my career, it was like, okay, but can we talk more about how your main character is struggling being a black woman in the fashion industry? Or like there was always, they, they wanted some angle about oppression. It's like trauma porn. You couldn't just exist in a fun story for the sake of being there. 
So yeah, I think spotlighting our humanity in this way is just as important and just as eye-opening as the other side of it. How has your, so you've written several novels already. How Mm -hmm. have you, have you like, well, first of all, how did you, how have you seen your sort of the topics of the novels evolve? And do you share any of Eve's sort of self-doubt and all of that about her products and topics and the time between books and all of that? Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know any writer who, after they're finished writing a book, is like, you know what, this is going to change lives. This is beautiful. <laughs> no one has ever said this this way. I think it's the opposite. <laughs> like, I am hackneyed. I'm a cliche. This has been done a million times and so much better. I don't think you ever feel secure about what you're doing. But I published my first novel when I was 25. I'm 45 now. And the difference is, the difference between then and now, it's so insane. I mean, I was so insecure about every word. And I also really weighed everything I said. Uh, you know, it was like, are people going to get this? Like, is everyone going to understand this reference? Maybe not. I should rewrite it to make it more palatable or, you know, less niche of a reference or, you know, maybe I shouldn't, when I was writing dialogue, my first instinct is to write exactly how black people would speak to each other. And then I'd be like, but not everyone's going to know that word. So let me just dial that back a little bit, which is ridiculous, but it was also the vibe in the early 2000s. It's like, you better appeal to everybody or else you're completely ghettoized and we're only going to market your book to certain demos and we're only going to sell it to certain bookstores. It was even a thing when we were talking about book covers, you know, like how quote unquote black do you want to be with your book cover is nuts, is nuts. But then you fast forward to today and I think that, you know, the industry and the is more open and interested in Black voices and what we have to say, which is an interesting moment to be a part of. I have never in my life seen such a hunger from book publishers to get Black voices, to, to, to land the new Black author. I mean, it's almost like a race to, to get the, you know, to, to get the, the new happening Black author, which is something I never thought I would see. But anyway, back to being insecure at 25 and versus now, I think, I don't know, something happens when you get over 40, you're just like, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. (laughs) Honestly, if you don't get it, Google is available to you. And I just write whatever I feel like writing. I write to tickle myself. and, and, And that's about it. I'm not trying to please anyone anymore. And I think any, any woman over 40 knows what I'm talking about. Honestly, it's like you hit that birthday and you're like, you know, liberation, freedom. I'm 44. And I literally like half the time I'm like, why do I do this? I don't know. Like it makes me laugh. Like I'm cracking myself or like I'm writing this and it's like cracking me up and like maybe nobody else is going to find this remotely funny, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm chuckling myself. So whatever. (laughs) And that's good enough. Honestly, and that's good enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you can't entertain yourself. <laughs> then what are we even doing? Especially during a pandemic, you have to be, you know, find yourself entertaining. So what else are we doing? So are you working on a new novel now? I am. What is that about? Can you I say? am. But, but I haven't even told 
my editors. I don't know if I can say, but this one is going to be a historical fiction. Ooh. Very loosely related to a character in Seven Days in June. Oh, wonder which one. Yes. Okay. I'm nominating Cece. I liked her. She's so fun. She's really fun. I just, yeah, that was, she was a really fun character to write. I love to make the supporting characters. I always feel like they're the star in their own book and they just like wandered over the, to this one to like give us some one-liners. <laughs> I had a writing professor once tell me that supporting characters don't know that they're not the protagonists and villains don't know that they're evil. So you have to give all of them like a fully fleshed out backstory, no matter how many pages, you know, they inhabit, they have to come on into your book fully fleshed out. Hmm. I love that. It reminds me of like 1980 sitcoms, you know, when like someone from all in the family would head over to the set of the Jeffersons or something. And you'd be like, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> Those are always oh my, my favorites. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Those crossover episodes. I lived yeah. for them. Yeah. Those were so good. <laughs> well, you've just given like so much advice, but what is your final advice for aspiring authors? Like, what do you think is most important for, especially for people starting out? Wow. First of all, they're lucky because the landscape today is so much different than it used to be. And there's so many different platforms, you know, where you can express yourself. When I was coming up, it was like either you're published in a magazine or you, you know, or you get your book published. Now you can self-publish, you can write on Medium, you can have a blog, you know, there's so many ways to get your work out there. I think my biggest piece of advice is honestly, it's so boring, but you've got to carve out time every day to do it because there's always, always something more fun to do than write. <laughs> <laughs> there will always be something you would rather be doing every single time. So if you make it a part of your schedule, if you make it as crucial as eating lunch or finishing that project at work, you know, just because it's something that you're doing for yourself doesn't mean that it should take less precedent over, you know, work that you're doing for other people. You just have to approach it like a non-negotiable. I love that. Excellent. Well, Tia, thank you. Thanks for chatting. I wish we had like more time to hang and talk and whatever, but and to talk more about this book. But thank you so much for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. And I can't wait for your next novel. And now I have to go back and read the other one. So anyway, congratulations. Thank you so much, Sibby. Thank you for having me on. It was so fun. And if you change your mind and want to try a different doctor or something, just email me. I'm not even kidding. I will reach out. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to part of my June book blast. I hope you enjoy it. Come back tomorrow for more. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.